Welcome to The Burnout Show, a weekly conversation with special guests who generously share their burnout stories with us. We also chat with health and wellness experts on how to best navigate burnout when you're in the thick of it, as well as how to avoid it returning. And now here's your host, Jess Jones. Welcome back to The Burnout Show. Before we get into today's chat with Molly Eliasoff, I just want to remind you that if you are struggling at the moment and looking for some extra support with managing or avoiding burnout, the Breaking Up With Burnout mini course is now available. You'll get access to three modules that cover life, work and burnout, which you can move through at your own pace and you have immediate access to. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more or go to theburnoutclub.com slash breaking up with burnout. Now, here's my chat with Molly. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Burnout Show. Today's special guest is Molly Elisoff. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for your time today. I'm excited to talk to you as well. Can you share a little bit about what you do? Sure. I have been a psychotherapist for 14 years and I have served people all throughout New York, especially Manhattan, with stress, anxiety, overwhelm. And I specialize in really helping people through therapy, coaching, and consulting Fortune 500 CEOs, celebrities, actors, performers, people in the public eye. So the more stress you have in life seems to be the people who get attracted to talking to me. So I'm excited to share any information I can today. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So what led you to this work? Yeah, you know, I mean, a little bit of me stumbled into it. Honestly, my mom is a therapist. And so I kind of followed suit through some recommendations. And, you know, a lot of the ways we spent time bonding was around talking about people and feelings. And it came supernaturally. Then the niche of dealing with stress, anxiety, and public figures honestly happened from just my location. Being in the middle of New York City, uh, it, it is and was filled with lots of stress and anxiety always. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of people who end up living here or um, running through here when they're in you know, a public figure setting, when they have to do a TV show or film something or do a speech or talk, New York is a big place to come. So that's kind of how it fell into my lap. Absolutely. I had the uh, chance to live there for a year in my late 20s and absolutely loved it but the hustle was real like you know I had housemates that were uh, one had lived in New York all their life a couple of others had come from other parts of the states and there was four of us in a tiny two-bedroom apartment and the conversation was always around like they kind of suggested to me when I first started working there is just like work hard hustle hard there's always going to be someone ready to take your place So there was just this mentality from the get-go that you just had to put everything you had in because, you know, that opportunity could be taken away from you. And I was only, you know, hospitality wasn't even, certainly wasn't running a company. So to have that general sense of needing to hustle, needing to push, needing to work hard all the time just to, you know, keep the opportunity you had, that was, that was real, that pressure. Yeah. And I would echo that. Like if you, if anyone who's listening has been to New York or anyone comes to New York, you can feel that just in walking around from point A to point B. There are so many people on the streets that it is work to get from point A to point B. And it's a hustle to make sure that, you know, you take up only your space and don't get in the way of other people. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, it yeah. sure is. So what did you want to be growing up? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I really knew. I always loved dancing and performing. So that's always been a huge part of my life and still is. Yeah. Um, and I was definitely a big math geek. I like loved learning about math and science and but specifically math. So I think I always thought either performing or math and, you know, being a math teacher um, or mathematician. And, and then somehow I stumbled into what I do. <laughs> yeah. Do you have other therapists in your family as well outside of your mom? I believe she's the only one. I might be forgetting someone. If I am, forgive me. I know we have another family member who has an industrial psych uh, background, but mm-hmm. no one else who's a psychotherapist. Mm. Must be such interesting work. Have you noticed that there's some consistency around personality traits with the clients that you're dealing with, given you've got these people that are in quite high stress environments and, you know, in roles that are where they have quite a lot of responsibility and pressure on them? Mm. You know, I don't know if I, I think that necessarily it's personality traits that bring people the same type of role or the same type of stressful situation. But I do think there are certain things that people in that situation can relate to one another around, you know, Mm -hmm. the feelings around isolation or stress or, you know, a ton of judgment constantly upon them is definitely a commonality. And I think no matter what, even though everyone I really look at people as very different, so it's hard for me to answer that question. Mm -hmm. But I think no matter what, there's a level of resiliency as a commonality between people who decide they want to be in the public eye, because it is a lot to not only take on consistently trying to be yourself, share a very deep message, but deal with all of the either backlash, opinions, or intensity and praise that comes your way as well. Do you think people can be taught how to be resilient? Or do you think it's something that people are uh, sort of born with or able to learn because of their a particular upbringing? Definitely both. I mean, I definitely think that people's early life experience when they're forced into a sense of resiliency, uh, you know, experience that feeling and sensation and skill unconsciously and very consciously, depending on the age and situation. But I think that all of us at some point have some situation that causes us intense distress and difficulty, and it becomes a question of how we get through it. And so I think, you know, everyone's scaling of how resilient they are might look different based on their own internal conversations with one another. But I do think that it's a skill we all must develop. It's just a sense of how often we want to feel that and then utilize that. Mm. And I guess there's a big difference between being resilient and being tough and getting by versus actually understanding what's going on for them and the pressure that they're feeling and why they're feeling it and then having to deal with that rather than just carrying it on. Yes, I agree. And I would say that to me, resiliency is not just, I don't know the expression taking it on the chin, so I like that one. I got oh. to learn something. It's <laughs> great. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's really about like sucking it up and moving forward. I think resiliency is the ability to bounce back. Right. And I think really that happens most effectively when we do both those things collaboratively, when we reflect on our emotions, how it's making us feel, what we don't want to feel anymore, what we want to feel instead and taking a, a moment as a pause to step back and really reflect 
you know, what, what is the life that I want and how do I take steps to move towards that? To me, that is really resiliency. Yeah. How have you found working with your clients during the pandemic when so many people were working from home, you know, Mm -hmm. perhaps working in their bedrooms, working on their kitchen table? How have you found dealing with that and the different feelings that have come up for them since they've been in that situation on top of all the other things that they're trying to deal with? You know, I feel very blessed and fortunate that I really love my work. I feel very humbled that I get to be in people's lives and watch them change it so that they feel more fulfilled by taking actions just from our conversations. Like it's such a mitzvah, it's such a blessing, you know? And I think you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about the the difference of what's going on in both of our countries right now in terms of like lockdown and what work from home looks like. And I think that really would add to the answer in your question, right? Everyone's in a different place, even with their relationship with work from home and how to deal with, you know, what it means to be in their house. And some people find it a blessing and some people are so distressed that the last thing they want to do is be home. So I don't know, it's very different per person. I think one of the things that I find really interesting are the creative ways that people keep finding resiliency within whatever situation based on their location, they're forced to be in you know, it's really beautiful to see people find ways to make home playful and fun and embracing um, and supportive to whatever it is they need right now. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. It must be quite a lot for you to take on, you know, the challenges and the feelings of so many people yourself. So how do you manage your own sense of downtime and self-care so you don't have that stress and overwhelm? It's a great question. You know, I think I think one of the things that I've always reflected on the word overwhelm about is that it exists in all of our lives, but it's a choice on how much we want it to fit into our lives. And the question becomes like, how do we not get rid of overwhelm in my mind, but nurture overwhelm so much so preventatively. And then when it occurs that it experience, we have that experience less often. And that way we were able to live a life we want rather than a life that stresses us out. So I think that framing of it is step number one is like really deciding how do you want to feel How can you shape the things you do have control of in your life to help you feel that way more often? How do you create environments and relationships and the way that you talk to yourself as well as what you do, whether through hobby or through your work and what's fulfilling to you that leads you to feel balanced, grounded, like yourself, content? So that's a big piece of it. The second piece I would say is... I always like to think about what I do for a living as being a sponge. There's a way in which, you know, what we have to do is kind of soak in everyone's emotions and experiences. And what I learned early, early in my career, when I was so stressed about what it meant to take home all those feelings, right? Like you just addressed, Mm. is that I had to wring out that sponge to not only show up for myself that evening when I was done for the end of the day, but for tomorrow, the next day to be there for the clients again. So I think it's important, not just for therapists, but everyone (laughs) to realize that we are continuous sponges, whether it's of our own intense feelings, other people's needs. If you have children and dependents and people who are asking things of you and needing your help and support, that we find ways to sponge ourselves out. 
whether that's through a little literal task like taking a hot shower or the way we speak to ourselves or the song we listen to before we go to bed, it is so important that we deserve to wring ourselves out, reduce the overwhelm and feel more like us the next day. Yeah, definitely. What does ringing out the sponge look like for you? Do you have any evening rituals or even morning rituals to start your day? Well, that's a long list of things that I've done. (laughs) You know, I love to wake up early. That has always been the case. So I love to make that a piece of my life. Even when I end up last night, I saw a friend till very late, which was lovely, but I still made an effort to wake up early this morning because I love the morning time and watching if I can the sunrise, which is always such a blessing. And I like to sit in quiet where I have time to reflect and ground myself and actually taste the water I'm drinking in the morning and taste the coffee that I'm trying in the morning. So that's a super important ritual to me. Fitness is also a very big piece of what ring the sponge out is like for me. I'm, I really need to move my body. I've been a dancer my whole life and think it's also very important just for everyone's health and wellness to have some semblance of fitness support systems. There's so, I mean, so many things that I could list. I could go on and on if you'd like me to, I will. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. It's so good to hear, you know, from your perspective, what that looks like for you, as well as obviously the things you recommend for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Wow. I mean, I think we're just lucky when we get to wake up the next morning, you know, and I think that every opportunity that we have to connect with people who we deeply love, who deeply love us is such a blessing. Every day that I have the ability to help other people and really show up and share my gift and help that use that gift to help transform someone else's life is such a blessing. You know, every day I get to move and dance and be fit is such a blessing. I, I just feel very grateful for being able to be honestly, I, as you're talking, I'm watching the sunset out of the corner of my eye. It's like the smallest things to me are just so important to let soak in, appreciate and embrace. And I, I hope, you know, I know you and I were talking about the fact that you guys have been in lockdown for a while you know, I hope that whether you're really stuck inside and, you know, in lockdown or not, you're able to try and use that as a way to escape in your mind. This idea that the one thing we can control is our thoughts and our own brain, you know, and how we really are thinking and speaking to ourselves. And so being able to appreciate those small, tiny little things can make such a difference to how we feel inside. For people that really struggle with that, you know, not just meditation, but that mindfulness piece, can you offer a couple of tips or some advice for how to to start being able to do that and practice that? Because it is such an important thing. I, I will often say it doesn't have to be this big, you know, affair, but just committing to making your coffee slowly, sipping it, smelling it, hearing the kettle boil, just those little things can help. I love that. I mean, I started giggling because it's like you read my mind. You know, I would tell a person who, you know, doesn't connect with mindfulness and the concepts that I just talked about or you just listed to throw them out. If it doesn't work for you, don't stress yourself out that it's not that it's not working for you. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in the last few years is self-care and wellness became more layman's terms. 
is that people started to subscribe to it so literally that they got stuck and stressed and trying to make it work, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And the more I talk about mindfulness in different ways with the different people that I work with in the language that makes sense to them, the more they realize, aha, that exists in my life. So for example, and I, I don't have a person that I'm working with that's like this at all, but you know, if we were to do a random example of a fictitious person, you know, someone who doesn't connect with mindfulness, they're always on the go, their brain doesn't slow down or they don't do meditation. These are just not concepts that they connect with. Maybe plays sports. And then I would go to that example and I would say, well, think about in sports. Let's say you're playing soccer or, you know, football, depending on what country you're in right now, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to score a goal. How do you decide to get to the other end of the field to do that? There's an element of visualization and slowing down in your mind that happens in a flash, but you're doing that practice. So how do we help you use what you already know, what already makes sense to you to help you have that skill in other areas of your day-to-day so you can use that? And we can call it mindfulness or we could call it your soccer trick. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, is there anything that keeps you up at night, good or bad? No. I mean, I I mentioned to you, I'm cat sitting and so occasionally they are leaping on the bed. But other than that, <laughs> I've always been a very sleeper. Sleep and the routine around sleep has always been super important to me. It is important that we try and rest our brain before sleep and release things that are going to add to our distress and stress. And it's important to enjoy the morning of a rested sense of self. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you've learned about yourself in the past 18 months that you didn't know before, just given the the new challenges and experiences we've all been through? Heck yeah. I mean, I hope everyone answers yes. Mm. (laughs) I really do. I mean, I feel like I've learned such an abundance of things that I would bore you to tears with just a long list here. You know, but I, I think one of the things that I learned that I think many other people I've heard have learned as well and that's really important to hold on to is, is what is actually important to me, what I actually need in this life and what I do not, what I can let go of so that I'm able to really embrace and appreciate like we're talking about with the small things, the, you know, things that really fill me up and make space for more of that and release the things that used to tie me down, but I didn't even realize because I wasn't moving slow enough to know, you know, so that has been one of biggest things that I've learned and that has shown up in many different ways, including, you know, living in different environments that I was used to and, you know, all kinds of changes, but that was a huge learning lesson for me. Mm. What are some of the things you've had to let go of or that you've been willing to let go of? Well, you know, um, there's a long answer, long answer in that as well, but I think literally stuff was a big thing that I started to let go of. I decided, little tangential here, but I decided to release the apartment that I was living at the beginning of quarantine and I'm no longer living there. And in that process, I really decided to let go of anything that didn't serve me. So as much as I could, I could live out of suitcases. And if I needed one storage unit for some important furniture pieces, I would. And that I would have the freedom to not have things that I didn't need. And that was a huge beginning of the release. And you know, and then it's existed through friends and people in my life who were coworkers or colleagues who, you know, needed different things during this process. You know, some people really have needed to talk endlessly about 
the data or the science and others have needed to talk about none of it, you know, and really finding what it is that I need or that you needed while you're listening. And the people who echo and support that has been so helpful. And then being able to release the people that do not, and it doesn't have to mean permanently, but just maybe they hold a different role in your life moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think there's been a a lot of conversations about people understanding what what and who they truly needed in their life and you know being able to identify some of the things they were doing or the people they were spending time with you know might have been a little bit hate using the word toxic but you know that that friendship or that situation or whatever they were experiencing was different it looked different because they were different they saw themselves and their life in a different way so I think a lot of good has come as well from, you know, overall what's been a pretty tough situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's something you've done that you're most proud of, Molly? Again, I, I, am, I have a long list of that. I, I think, you know, it's important to be reflective of the things that we, you know, no longer fit and also the things that we want to acknowledge that we've done. You know, I think one of the things I'm super proud of in this last year is that I've let myself keep growing. You know, it's been hard to to keep growing for, I think many of us, you know, there's times I think for all of us where it's been a really tough day or tough week or a tough month to feel like life is so different, but we kind of are still existing. So to allow yourself to not only exist, but to push myself to grow and challenge the way I think and who I talk and how I talk about myself and the changes I want to take in my business and my personal life. I'm really proud of. I think that was a step that I didn't need to take, but I really was dedicated to doing so. Not only as because we had the time, but because I I knew I wanted to exit this experience whenever that happens for all of us as a new person. I wanted to leave the cocoon as butterfly. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Finally, Molly, what's one you've shared so many great pieces of advice already today, but what's one tip or tool that you would leave with someone if they were feeling, you know, close to burnout or overwhelmed by everything? Yeah. I mean, figure out how you want to feel first. And I know sometimes when we're so stressed out about what's happening in front of our face, that's all we can see. That's all we can think. And that's all we can feel. And so doing this exercise of what I'm going to talk about in terms of reflecting on how you want to feel may require a pre-step of taking a hot bath or doing whatever it is you need, whether it's, you know, relaxing music or watching the fireplace or taking a walk if you can, or, you know, talking to your best friend, whatever kind of brings you kind of down to a grounded place is going to be helpful before you do what I'm, you know, going to suggest, which is really thinking and imagining or envisioning, fantasizing, visualizing, however you want to describe it, what state do you want to be in? What does that feel like in a year from now, in a month from now, when you don't feel overwhelmed? Who are you surrounded by? What are you doing? Really get so clear on what that's like that you can figure out the smallest kernel of a way to live that tomorrow. That is, yeah, perfect. I love that. I um, talk about in our course that we run, working out what your ideal day looks like and that's part of what you're speaking about now just looking at what that ideal day looks like what's involved who's there who do you speak to who who you're on the phone to you know what are you wearing what are you doing what are you drinking what are you 
eating, how are you moving your body, all those sorts of things. And then just being able to, like you said, just, you know, take a few steps to what that might look like for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Molly, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us. If you're suffering from burnout or want some tips on how to avoid it, join our Facebook group, The Burnout Club Community. If you've gotten something out of today's episode, we'd love your review. Simply click the link in the show notes to share your thoughts. Until next time, go gently.